Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's interview with Michael Mistretta, CIO at Virginia Hospital Center. In this segment, Mistretta talks about the immense challenge leaders face when strategy goes out the window, how Virginia Hospital Center is preparing to return to normal levels of patient capacity, and how his team is leveraging cross-training to fill essential roles during the pandemic. As much as 80% of patient information is unstructured and stored outside of an EMR, Highland Healthcare helps complete the patient record by consolidating and connecting this unstructured content to core clinical systems. With a full suite of content services and enterprise imaging solutions, Highland gives clinicians a single view of all documents and medical images associated with the patient via the EMR, enabling more informed health decisions and improving patient outcomes. Highland Healthcare. See your whole patient. Visit highlandhealthcare.com to learn more. So looking at this at a really high level, can you talk about really how it has impacted your role most as CIO and your strategy, I should say? My strategy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tear it up and throw it out the window. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is you prepare for these things And, you know, we're fortunate enough here in D.C. that we have some disaster preparedness type scenarios that we've been practicing and drilling with FEMA and different things. It's still nothing can prepare you for something of this magnitude and duration, right? But things like, you know, that a lot of people were scrambling for remote working, we implemented those policies a year ago, two years ago. So my staff, ability to work from home and basically do 100% of their job was already in place. So okay. we're fortunate from that regard. And for the rest of the health system, it was easy for them to take our policies and procedures and practices and roll them out throughout the organization. So our billing department and people like that, it was just a capacity issue we had to make sure that we could handle on bandwidth and uh, things like that. So we were, we were fortunate from that regard. I think that that saved us quite a bit. As far as my role in strategy, you know, strategy at this point is kind of out the window, frankly. It's reacting on a daily basis. We have calls with our leadership team twice a day, morning and evening, just to figure out and change to the direction of what's going on. And then whatever needs to be done, we just figure out who's got the bandwidth to do it and does it as a leadership team. You know, mm-hmm. So taking on different roles and different things that maybe you hadn't experienced before or hadn't done really doesn't matter. You know, like setting up the drive-through testing scenario. Who's done that before? Yeah. You got my CNO to do the clinical side, and I did all the infrastructure and side stuff with the county. You, you figure out how to get it done, and you, you get it done to the best you can to make things happen to, in this world. Right. Okay. So when it was starting to become clear that this was going to be a, a large-scale issue, what was what was kind of the first thing or first steps? Like, did you have, like, a team in place or put together kind of a, a response team? How did that go? We didn't, really. Um, I think just our leadership team, my CEO's direct reports, if you will, we call them our admin council, we have a pretty close group, and we meet twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, usually beginning and kind of mid to end week. And those meetings have just become COVID meetings, frankly. Right, yeah. What are we going to do strategically moving forward? How are we going to – first it was care for patients. We're about two months into this now. And, you know, how are we going to handle the surges? 
do we have enough capacity and vents and equipment, things like that, and then going out and doing the, you know, the procurement of them if we needed to, different builds, different things that we needed to do. And then now it's becoming, okay, how are we starting to plan for the transition? You know, when yeah. surgeries come back online as an example, which we're hopeful here in Virginia that's in the next week or two, we're anticipating a pretty strong run on uh, surgical supplies and things like that. So do we have enough stock to be able to do that? You know, the physicians are going to be knocking on our door asking for additional block times, additional mm. hours, extended hours in the ORs, because they're hurting on their revenue streams just like we are. Yeah. And how are we planning for those things now? And that, that's kind of the phase that we're in today. And, oh, by the way, not only that, but some of our what I'll call normal capacity, which went away for a month to six weeks, is now starting to come back as well. So we're not only yeah. seeing patients, but we're also seeing our regular med surge things and things like that where people have postponed conditions for a month or two that, that they could, and now they've, they're coming in and they're past where they can wait anymore. Right, um, right. So it's, it's kind of a dual sword right now. So bed capacity is probably one of our biggest issues to look at. It's interesting what you said about you need to anticipate having the surgeries come back and all the different components there. And who are some of the people who are, who are working on that front? Well, the, the primary folks are, you know, we have an AVP in the, the surgical services area. So he's working with a lot of the physician offices and physicians themselves that try and understand their plans of what they're trying to do. And then the challenge that we have in that area really is going to be more on the staffing front than anything. Yeah. So we can try to get a feel for what the schedule is going to look like. One of the things we had to do to protect our patients and our employees, you know, we put in screening stations at all the points of entry, which are manned by yeah. uh, the staff from the surgical suites primarily. So when those start to come back and they have to go back and actually do patient care duties again, we're going to have to backfill for those uh, health screening stations at the points of entry. Okay. So, you know, those are the types of things that we have to, to do the challenges for now, too. It's Staffing, I think, is going to be one of the biggest challenges when everything comes back because of things like that. This isn't going to, you know, yeah. we're not going to stop the screenings and stuff like that. Probably, I, I would be surprised if it didn't go through third and fourth quarter at a minimum, if it didn't continue on somewhat indefinitely right now. We don't even know when we would we would turn that off at this joint. So. Right. That's a really important point to bring up, that you have elective surgeries coming back, but it doesn't mean that you can just move those people back over, that this is still going to be a need for a while. Yeah, we've added functions. And, and in all honesty, yeah. a lot of my folks are probably the ones that are going to be called back in off of teleworking to do those stations. So I, I fully right. anticipate that. You have a good number who have been teleworking for the past uh, couple of weeks or months? Pretty much, I would say the vast majority, 90, 95% of my team. Mm -hmm. But like you said, you had already had that in place. So, um, so was it just a matter of just making sure the capacity was there and working through any early bugs? Yeah, we, we implemented, like I said, the telework agreements with staff about a year, year and a half ago, somewhere in that range. And almost everybody already had the capability to work, I would say the most of them about three days a week from home anyway. And so we mm. just went the in-office requirement of the other two and said, okay, you can just telework for the foreseeable future, really, the duration of the pandemic. Yeah. And then when we need them, if something breaks, 
where we have to build something or have to get something done very quickly and pull people face to face. Then we, we put out the SOS and everyone comes in for a day. We do the design work, they go back out and they do the build and testing and everything that they need to do. So periodically people come in, but 99% uh, of what they're doing is, is remote right now. Right. And I'm sure it's hard to say now, but could you foresee some of that staying that way as far as uh, keeping some of the jobs remote or is it really kind of hard to predict? Um, I, I think I think we will go back to our normal telecommuting agreements at some point. But like I said, most of them have mm -hmm. three days that they're already working remote. So, yeah. you know, it's really just customer service, patient-centric reason why they come into the office and healthcare. I think it's difficult not to have any FaceTime with people. We do have some mm -hmm. analysts uh, that work remotely. We have one in Kentucky. We have one in Kansas City maybe two in Kansas City area. Uh, so we do have some that are basically full-time remote. But uh, D.C. market, if you're not doing some level of telecommuting, it's going to be very difficult to retain people because the traffic's so bad. Yeah, definitely true. As far as some of the staff that have taken on different roles, is that something that you've seen like throughout the organization You know, as we've kind of progressed through the pandemic? It is. We've done a lot of cross-training on our IT side, and that's probably one of the biggest places where people on my side are stretched are the trainers. You know, people mm -hmm. who are doing normal duties, some of the surgical nurses, for instance, have been cross-trained back over to do regular med-surg duties, as an example, yeah. some of the surge. Getting providers cross-trained to take ICU responsibilities is another. Every week we have different classes for just simple cross-training over they already know what they do, but then they do other things. But we've made a pretty hard effort not to furlough anybody at this point because we know yeah. what's when surgeries come back. It's been very difficult because financially this is pretty stressful on almost everybody. But we've tried hard not to furlough anybody, which we haven't, unless they've been some kind of exposure candidate or something like that so far. Um, right. Hopefully we can maintain that. So we've had people, physical therapists that patient therapy is pretty much shut down right now. So they're working in the cafeteria, as an example. Right. Um, so it's pretty much whatever we need to do to make sure we've got people retained and uh, productive in some manner. I wouldn't say they're, they're certainly not working top of licensure necessarily, but uh, yeah. whatever we need to do, we, we get people. We have a one of the ways we conserve PPE, a lot of these people, we have a command center that distributes PPE and they man the command center. So we track pretty tightly who's, what areas are getting what pieces of PPE, and that's what these people do. They inventory, they keep track, they distribute, they do whatever. So that's another area where people have been cross-trained over to do different things. Okay. So even though it's not the top of the licensure, as you said, it's work, it's a job, and I think that that's really big right now. Well, and it's productive work that needs to be done yeah. for us to maintain operations. That's the key, really, more than anything yeah. else. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.